Welcome into a loaded episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. We finally have a game to review. We've got a, another really big game coming up this week to preview, and we've got a lot of questions from our readers. So I just want to jump right into it. I don't want to waste any time. Colin? Dan, Dan you're overselling right now. You can't call this loaded until we get finished with this thing. Uh, it's going to be loaded. I'm, I'm confident that it's going to be loaded. <laughs> we've got a lot of material to cover this week, so I have no doubt that it's going to be, going to be loaded. Do we want to start off with the fact that uh, we predicted Saturday's game right, even though, hint, hint, like neither of us actually predicted it right, but as a staff, yeah, we, I mean, we, we, gotta, knew, we, we saw everything coming. We saw we, it all. We got to start by tooting our own horn because we do basically what we do for the 11 Warriors uh, game preview is we round up predictions from all of our staff writers and then average them out to kind of come up with a score prediction in it. It just so happened that our score prediction for this week turned out to be 52-17. to 17. And what do you know if uh, Jack Miller's controversial touchdown near the end of the game, which I'll have more thoughts on later, uh, but that made it 52-17. to 17. So we nailed it. We, we knew exactly what was coming. Exactly. Special shout-out to Chris Lauterbach, our colleague, who also individually correctly predicted 52-17. to 17. Shout-out to him. And, uh, you know – like, it is funny. Like, we do joke about the fact that it was 52 to 17. We predicted it correctly. But, like, there were a lot of things, I think, that we saw that were, like, they weren't that surprising. Like, was it a surprise that Justin Fields had a really good connection with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson? Or that the running game maybe wasn't hitting on all cylinders to begin the season? Or, you know, the defensive line at times it looked a little bit shaky you know, there were a little, there were some holes in the defense maybe that um, could be exposed at some point if they don't fix them over the next few months. Like, I don't think that there was a lot that was super surprising. And I know we want to dive into it all, but like, I'll say that to start it off, Dan, like me personally, a lot of that game played out generally what I sort of expected to see after 10 months of not seeing the Buckeyes. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I think like our, I think our whole staff was there, which is why, you know, we ended up with an accurate staff prediction is I think it is what a lot of us expected. I think we expected that, you know, we definitely expected that Justin Fields was going to look really good and he looked really, really good. You know, we expected the offense was going to score a lot of points, but I think we also expected some growing pains for the defense. I mean, I, I, my personal prediction was 49, 24. So, you know, for all the angst that there's been since this game about the defense, the defense did not play any worse than I expected. But I think what happens is with a football game is I think the narrative of a game get, starts to get written in the first 10 minutes. And then a lot of times if a certain narrative builds in a football game, no matter how well you play the rest of the day, that narrative just doesn't get shaken. And I think that's kind of what happened on Saturday, where I think the defense struggled early, gave up two touchdowns in its first four possessions, and Ohio State fans are freaking out. And then you look at the rest of the game, Ohio State only allowed three points the rest of the game. So while I understand some of the angst out there about the defense, to me, those were growing pains that we should have expected to see with a team playing its first game against a Big Ten opponent that's got some offensive talent and is replacing seven players that were selected in the NFL draft last year. Yeah, it's, you know, 
I don't even really want to start there because I just feel like I think you're right. Like, I, I think there was so much negativity, and even Ryan Day mentioned it on Tuesday in his press conference. Like, you look around the locker room, and like, you'd be like, "Boys!" I think I think his quote was, "You'd be like, boys, like we won fifty-two to 17, which I thought was a good quote, but also it was sort of true, and it sort of represented, I think, a lot of the feelings that I saw in the fan base, which were, you know, it was it was good to get a win. It was good to actually see a you know a, a largely healthy team without missing any major pieces. But also, you maybe didn't see this team like winning a national championship on Saturday. Um, I don't really want to start with that. I sort of just want to start with the positives. Um, I think that it's better to start there because I think that I think that when you go over the positives, you just realize that there's still a lot to like from this game. And I think that you just I don't know if you can start anywhere other than Justin Fields. No, you really the guy can't. was 20 for 21. The one incompletion was an on-target deep throw to Chris Olave that I guess you could argue maybe he put a little bit too much under it, but I mean it was on target and it hit him in the hands. <laughs> it, I mean it was a, it was a fine it was a fine pass. Um, what what were your impressions of Justin Fields compared to maybe what you thought you were going to see from him? I mean, you used the headline almost perfect for Justin Fields' game on Saturday, yeah. and I think that sums it up. I mean, he really was. He was. I mean. It, I, I don't think there's anything you could go back and watch. I, I, mean, I, sh- I shouldn't say that. If there's one thing you could nitpick, it's that he's held the ball. He held onto the ball a little too long and took a couple sacks. And that was one time. No, no. On the, and and I'll, I'm, I'll, I'll even push back on this. There was one time that he did that. There were two sacks he took that were just, and we can talk about this in a little bit um, when we talk about, you know, some of the things they'll need to work on. Those were stunts by the defensive line that they got in his face quickly. And those were two of the three sacks that he took. There was one that he held the ball on long, but I mean, if we're talking about one sack that he took that maybe he could have thrown it away in an incompletion that was almost a touchdown, like that's the kind of day we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's is how good he was. And that, and, and here's the deal. If he's going to get into the Heisman race, that's the kind of performance that he has to have. Those are the kind of games he has to have. Because I've said it before. I think he's playing catch-up with, with Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones right now. I still think he's playing catch-up, even after such a phenomenal first game. But those are the kind of games that will put you back in the race. To be that efficient, to be that successful over the course of a game, you know, that, that's exactly what you need. And I mean, I, I wasn't surprised by it at all because I know how talented Justin Fields is. I also didn't think Nebraska had a very good defense. Yeah, true. I think you saw, I think you saw some like different encouraging things. I think the one thing I would say is like, you saw quintessential Justin Fields. You saw the Justin Fields that we saw last year, which is the guy who can just make plays when things break down uh, you saw that on his one run on his one rushing touchdown when you know he was looking for Chris Olave in the middle of the field. It broke down, so he scrambled. He gets outside. Like you can take a screenshot of the TV screen and see like six Nebraska defenders around him with seven more yards to go to the end zone, and you'll be like, "How is he supposed to make it there?" And he scores on that play. Like that's the kind of stuff he does. And then you'd see, you know, the plays that we got used to that like he makes it look so easy. And the, those kind of plays that I'm talking about are like those out routes to Chris Olave for 15 yards. Like he made about four or five of those. I think Julian Fleming's first catch was basically that exact play that we saw Chris Olave run so many times last year. So I think you saw a lot of what made him special last year. And then you just saw him make no mistakes. You saw him make no mistakes at all. You saw him on a crossing route, which we didn't see a ton of last year. We saw him hit Garrett Wilson on a crossing route. We saw him go deep and, and hit Garrett Wilson on target with a deep ball. 
I mean, almost perfect to me is basically what it describes. And and when you say almost, like it's like almost, almost, almost. Like he was, he was right on the precipice of being perfect to me. If we're going to talk about positives, and I think the next thing that comes to mind for me is Garrett Wilson moving to the slot. His first game at slot receiver, I believe it was seven catches for 129 yards, but he had. Uh, I mean, it's just one game, but so far the move to the slot seems to be a brilliant move for Garrett Wilson. Yeah. It's so funny because last fall I would have been like, why are they moving him to the slot? And it took me one practice in the spring to be like, oh, yeah, I have fallen in love with this idea. And I think it took Ohio State fans one game to fall in love with the idea of Garrett Wilson in the slot. So I think he had seven catches, 129 yards, and a touchdown. Um, if that if that's just a preview of what we're going to see this fall, Ohio State's in business. Yeah, and, you know, Chris Olave, uh, of course, he did leave the game early. I know the big question everybody has is health. We really don't know. I mean, Ohio State's not saying much. Um, if I was going to bet on it, I'd, I'll bet on him playing, but I really don't know. Me too. Uh, but when those two were on the field, I mean, you could see it, that one-two punch at receiver. And it was interesting because Ohio State really didn't rotate receivers on Saturday the way it typically would. And, you know, whether that will change as the season progresses, Maybe once those freshmen start to get more experience, maybe it will become more of a true rotation. But you watch how good Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave play, and then you go, do you really ever want to take these guys off the field? Yeah, and, and you also think about – and we'll get into this. The, I think the rushing game, rushing attack, probably wasn't exactly what you're going to need it going forward in the season. But part of that is, like, you don't really have to concern yourself too much because if you have Justin Fields throwing passes to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, you're probably going to be okay most of the time. Um, so, yeah, I think that this this passing attack was literally everything that I could have foreseen. Like, this is, this is as good as I think it could have been. Um, obviously, Nebraska <laughs> Nebraska's not going to win any awards for its defense. So, I think that, that that is the obvious caveat. But you could not have asked for anything more to see out of this passing attack. And, and it does feel like – generally like we, we spent a lot of the offseason wondering like how do they get better at right here it feels like they got better somehow another big positive I feel like we got to talk about is Pascal Garrett coming back mm-hmm. I mean we didn't even know if he was going to be playing in the first game of a season and he didn't just play he was the defensive player of the game and that might be a little bit of a sentimental pick but I also think it was deserved because he had the first sack of a season and just watching him you know I thought at that defensive tackle spot you know, one of the biggest question mark positions on the team of all the guys playing there. I thought he was the guy who was, you know, by far the most disruptive in there. And and we know Ohio State needs some players to step up on the defensive line. And I thought he looked as good as we've ever seen him in his career. So to see him play that well two months after he was shot in the face, I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, to me, it's 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 not as much like – there's part of the story that's just like, I cannot believe he's on the field. Like, I can't believe it. I mean, when he was talking on Tuesday and saying that he was back in meetings with Larry Johnson on the Friday after getting shot in the face on Sunday morning of that week, two months ago, like, that's just, that's crazy to me. And it tells you about the determination that he had to, to play this season. Um, but I'll say, like, the other aspect of this is, like, to me, it's not just like a feel good bounce back story. Like, to me, there's also the aspect where he can really, really help this team. I think you saw that on Saturday because I'm not sure if it was his very first play, but I know I remember the very first play of the third drive of the game for Nebraska. 
he just got plowed into the ground. And I didn't, I didn't notice this in real time, but I, when I went back and watched, it's like, wow, he just got pancaked right here. And I think that if you weren't paying attention to the rest of the game, you might be a little bit worried about, like, is, are you seeing, you know, the effect of, of not really getting the offseason that he would like? And is he still unhealthy? But, no, I think, I think as the game went on, I think he and Tommy Togiai were the two most impactful defensive tackles to me the entire game. And I think that, like, when you saw him get the first sack of the season, I mean, all of this is just like – I don't know how many times we can say it and not be like, he got shot in the face two months ago. But, like, I'm certainly not at that point because every time I see him, every time he makes a play, I just I, – I think of all of that that he's, that he's come through. I got to say that I think after this first game, I think we probably are both feeling pretty good about – thinking that Jackson Smith and Jigba might be the most impactful player in this freshman class this year. Yeah. And, and I'll give you credit because I think you were the first person to say that among us. Um, <laughs> you weren't the first person to get on Jackson Smith and Jigba Island because that is a very populated area right now, but you were the first of us to. And yeah, if, if we're going to talk about positives, like at that point in the game, when he made that touchdown catch, it's not like Ohio State really needed anything. Uh, they were going to win regardless. Um, but I think one, like, he just made that thing look so easy. Like, when he's in slow-mo, he's like one of those guys who, when he's in slow-mo, it looks like he's thinking in slow-mo. And a lot of times, like, that's not really the case. But he looks like he catches passes in slow-mo and is that kind of guy. And and, and he reminds me of uh, that way. He reminds me a little bit of Garrett Wilson um, in that, that, that aspect of this game. If we tip the hourglass over and we and we do look at some of the things that people are concerned about you know I think you know a running game you you hinted at a little bit before and I think that is one of the things people have been talking about because if a running backs they they were just meh in the season opener you know Master Teague Trey Sermon it it really wasn't anything spectacular from those two have your expectations for them changed at all as a result of this first game yeah it was it's interesting because I think like to anyone who's listening to this who hasn't read Kyle Jones's piece on Monday about the running game, like I think that you should just stop listening and go read that first because he'll do a much better job of, of explaining it. And honestly, like I don't think we could do it justice, so I don't think either of us are going to try and repeat it. Um, but, you know, did it, did it change my expectations? Not, not particularly, but I think it made me realize that, you know, we might need to take a little bit more time with them and, and, you know, not judge them right away. And I think that bringing up what happened in the Florida Atlantic game last year where, you know, JK, I think, I think Ryan Day called it clunky. Um, JK had a clunky game. And if you remember, we were on the podcast and people were asking, should Master Teague get more carries? Uh, No, Master Teague should not have gotten more carries. And people were asking that about Steel Chambers. There's a poll on our website. I don't remember. I think it was Sunday. And it was asking who should get the most carries going forward. Did I think Steele had more than fifty percent? Is that correct? Yeah, that is yeah. that is correct. I believe. Yeah, we, we had four asked, carries. <laughs> yeah, we were asked that about by uh, STL Buckeye fifteen. He asked us about any chance Chambers sees more carries. And and, and I'll say this: I, I think it's a valid question. I'm, I I don't think we we want to dismiss that question anyway. Yeah, yes. A valid question. I thought he looked good on limited carries, and I I wouldn't be opposed at all to the idea of him getting some more carries to see what he can do, but. I also think it's way too small of a sample size to all of a sudden think that Steel Chambers is the best running back. I think uh, reality is we don't know who the best running back is right now. None of, none of yeah. them did anything on Saturday to separate themselves from the pack. But I think we need 
I think we need more time. I think we need to be a little patient. I think we need to recognize how damn good J.K. Dobbins was and that, you know, it, it's it, a guy like that is hard to replace. But I think these guys will figure it out. I mean, I think you could tell just from what Ryan Day said about them that he felt like they got more comfortable as the game progressed. And I think a lot of that probably was first game jitters. And I think, you know, as as they go into a game next – this upcoming week against Penn state, Penn state held Indiana to, I believe 41 yards on 26 carries this last week. So uh, this is going to be a big test for them in week two. And, and I'm interested to see, can they take that next step? I'm reasonably confident that they will. Yeah. I'm not reasonably confident that they will, but I also don't know what the next step really looks like for them. Like, I think that there's a lot of factors here and that's why I think you should go read Kyle Jones's piece because he sort of goes into that. It's not as simple as like, did they run well or not? It's just not. I mean, Nebraska gave them certain defenses that confused them. They blitzed linebackers early on downs. And and that was something that you saw constantly, especially early in the game. So I think like part of it, you know, part of the running game to me was, you know, Nebraska just made it difficult on them uh, to to run the ball. Um, And I, you know, part of that is maybe the, maybe the line could have dealt with it a little bit better, but I think Nebraska is sold out on the run sometimes. Um, And I also think, you know, I think that the running backs could have done a better job making guys miss. Like, I think that that's probably the one thing. I can only really think of one uh, one instance in all of Master Teague and Trey Sermon's rushes that I remember, you know, one of them was dead to rights, and then they either ran somebody over or juked somebody or got by them. And that was Trey Sermon did that once. I remember him doing that. And I don't really remember the other two. I don't, I don't remember Sermon doing that the rest of the game, and I don't remember Master really doing that at all. So I think that that's the one area that – and Ryan Day mentioned that on Tuesday, the ability to make guys miss the second and third level. I think that that's going to be important for these guys. And that's, that's the part of the running backs in particular that I haven't really seen yet. The thing I'd say about Steele and I, and honestly, like when he was running, like the first couple of carries, I was like, I, I had my eyes open. Like I was like, hmm, maybe this guy should get more carries. I wouldn't be opposed to that necessarily. But I also don't think that, like, it's not like we saw Steele running against the same fronts that we saw Master and, and, and Trey Sermon uh, running against. I think that that's something that's important to note because it was a little bit different. Um, and, and I think the line blocked better uh, when, when I, specifically on that third down run that he broke open a little bit. So I, I am intrigued by Chambers. And I think that Brian Day put it a, a good way when he said he flashed a little bit. I don't think that that means you make him the lead back, though. I mean, it's again, it's been one game. Colin, you, you were one who was really hyping up Ohio State's offensive line going into the year. So can confirm. How would you assess? the way the offensive line played in the first game. It is thrilling for me to watch an offensive line play. Let me tell you, Dan. Um, All right. I think that, I think, I think they played well. And I think that on a rewatch of the game, I think they played better than I thought they were during the game. I think that's important to note. I think I can separate some guys a little bit. I think Nick Petit Frere and Thayer Munford were awesome. And I also don't think that they were going against Chase Young. So I think that is part of it. and, and I'll be interested to see what they do when the competition, competition level spikes, which it will on Saturday. Yep. Uh, so I think that that's important. But I will say, like, they were awesome. They were really good. I think Wyatt Davis generally was really, really good. Um, I think Josh Myers was, was pretty good. There were a couple moments that, you know, it seemed like he wasn't getting the, the kind of push that he would like, but I think he was pretty good. 
Harry Miller, you know, I feel like I hyped up Harry Miller as much as everybody else. I thought he was just okay. I think that he was pretty clearly the weak link of the line, and you could see that pretty much throughout the duration of the time that he was in there. He just didn't get the kind of push that you need to. You know, when I was talking about earlier the, the stunts on the defensive line that, you know, the offensive line got confused about, like that was on Harry Miller and at least appeared at least once or twice. Um, so, you know, it made me step back with Harry Miller and think maybe I shouldn't crown him yet because <laughs> I still think Harry Miller is going to be a very good player. And I think that all signs point to that. But again, like I sort of needed to tell myself this, like it's Harry Miller's first year starting. It's his second year on campus. Like Wyatt Davis didn't start a second year on campus. Josh Myers didn't start a second year on campus. Like really good. Nick Petit Frere did really good players don't usually start their second year on campus, even at the offensive line, even at Ohio State. So I think that I think that he's someone who's definitely going to need a little bit more time. And to me, yeah, he was he was the weak link on the line, but it's not like I'm pressing the panic button. It's sort of like at running back. I just feel like, you know, I want to see a little bit more. I want to see them develop more. Yeah, I agree with you completely on that. I think I think he was the weak link. Maybe there's a reason why he was the only offensive lineman who did not grade out as a champion. Uh, I think yep. that's accurate. It was very tough. And I, and I agree with you on Josh Myers. I mean, I, I was hyping up Josh Myers as much as anyone going into a season. So I, I, I agree on that. I, I did not think he had his best game. Um, I think you could tell just from talking to him on Tuesday that he didn't think he had his best game. Um, so, so I agree with that. And I, and, and, and I'd agree on Petit Frere. I, I was really impressed you know, rewatching the game watching him I thought he did really well because I think he was a guy who we maybe would have had the most questions on going into the season and I was really impressed with what I saw so like you said I think a significantly tougher test coming up this week with uh, Shaka Tony and Jason Owe for Penn State but first impressions I really was impressed by what I saw from Petit Frere. Yeah and and I'll make one more point too because I think that I am going to be absolutely fascinated to see this um, pass protection in this game because, you know, Ryan Day was talking on Tuesday about how he liked what he, what he saw out of the pass protection. And generally I agree with them, but the couple mix-ups that they had were on the same kind of stunts that messed them up last year. And I think that if you combine those kind of stunts, which I, I assume Penn state will, will, will employ uh, with the kind of blitzing that Ohio State's expecting and the kind of defensive ends that, that, that Penn State has. Like, I think that that's a recipe for a really, really stiff challenge. Um, and I am confident in this line, but I don't think that they're going to be perfect. And I, and I, and I really do want to see, you know, what they play like against a more talented defense. We'll move onward to Penn State in just a few minutes, but do want to talk about, you know, what we saw in the defense from the first game. You know, I mean, I think – my first takeaway would be that the defense continued to be pretty vanilla. It was mostly the base defense. You know, I, I did notice that if that slot cornerback slash cover safety spot, that did become more of a hybrid position. They were dropping Williamson back as a deep safety on some plays. Last year, Wade was pretty much just functioning as a slot corner. I did notice they were dropping him back a little bit more. Uh, they did have some nickel packages that put Josh Proctor in there, but they only did that on six plays. A lot of it was pretty vanilla. And and I think some of that, you know, I still think there's probably more to come. And I think maybe some of that they're saving up for this week. But, you know, I, I, I'm still I'm still interested to see, like, are they going to put in some more wrinkles? Because I do think, you know, that is my question right now about the defense. Like, 
you know, the defense didn't get the game off to a good start. But again, I expected this defense to have some growing pains. So to finish the game allowing only 17 points, I think that's a good start for the defense. I do think, though, that they're, they, they're going to need to work in some different elements if they're going to really be able to beat the best teams in the country. I completely agree with that, and here's why. Like, did you when, – when you were watching that game, were you like, oh, this guy's a playmaker? Like, I feel no. like I said that about not a single player on this defense. Right. And I think to get to that point, you're going to have to play the matchups. You're going to have to rotate a little bit more. You're going to have to put guys in different positions. Because I don't think this defense has stars. I really don't. Um, I don't think that the pass rush from the defensive ends was particularly great. I think that Tommy Togiai and Haskell Garrett had pretty solid games. But I thought the other defensive tackles maybe left a little bit to be desired. Um, I talked about Pete Warner potentially you know, taking the next step and being a star. I didn't think Pete Warner had a great game. I thought Tough Warner t- – t- <laughs> wow, that'll give some – a certain sect of Ohio State fans nightmares, Tough Warner. Um, I thought Tough Borland played a solid game. And I know that people will hate to hear me say that, but I thought he was – I thought he was good. Um, as good as Tough Borland can be when, yes, he did – it looked like, you know, he was – he had a – the, the running back was the bull and no, it was that Adrian Martinez was the bull and he had that, you know, the, the red out there for him to, to run by that, that one time I remember either in the, in the first half, but I think the linebackers were fine in general. And, you know, Sean Wade made a really nice play. It's hard to really know what to expect with it or what to think about the defensive backs when they just really didn't get challenged at all. Yeah. So I think that like a lot of this defense, like, I wasn't very impressed, but I also have like minimal takeaways because Nebraska wasn't exactly attacking them in the way that I think, you know, the Clemson Alabama's of the world down the line would. Yeah. I think my, my, I think my positive would be the secondary because just the fact that there is so much turnover there and I, there there really weren't, you know, many, you know, significant Mm -hmm. busts on that end. So I think that is, yeah. yeah, I mean, I I really don't remember any because, you know, even like the bigger passes they had were to tight ends, and I think that was probably more on linebackers. So yeah. I, I thought it was a very positive start for the secondary, but I, I will give you what you said there. I mean, you know, you're talking about a Nebraska offense that really ever been Wandale Robinson really just doesn't have very good wide receivers, to be blunt. Uh, and so those guys weren't really being challenged the way they might, you know, this week and in future weeks. I think we'll learn a little bit more against a more talented Penn State team. But I do think it's a good start. You know, the fact that they weren't, getting beat for you know big plays in the passing game I think that's a, a, a positive start mm-hmm. I think that you know I don't even remember seven banks really getting targeted at all so I think I think it'll be interesting to see some of those younger cornerbacks get thrown at down the field but you know the one thing I would say is that you know we got we got a decent look at what Marcus Hooker and Josh Proctor can do to keep guys in front of them and let me tell you it was pretty much exactly what I expected. You saw Josh Proctor a couple times just come running downhill out of control. And like once or twice, he really, he really gave it to somebody. But I don't remember the exact time in the game, but I remember he came downhill. He, I think he missed on Adrian Martinez. And he was lucky that there were a couple other guys in the vicinity who were, who were closing in because like he, he is not, he's not the eraser that Jordan Fuller was. I'll say, I'll say that about him. I am fascinated by him playing closer to the line. I think that he's a physical guy. I'm not sure that he's the guy that Ohio State's going to want there at the back end as the, as the single high safety for, for a large majority of the time. Now I'll say that with also mentioning that Marcus Hooker on, you know, on Luke McCaffrey's big run on the first drive just missed a tackle that Jordan Fuller makes 
90% of the time, and Marcus Hooker will have to make 90% of the time going forward. But the rest of the game, he was that kind of a racer. He made all the tackles that he needs to make the rest of the game. So to me, it's to me, it's seeing more consistency out of Marcus Hooker. And I just like my my other thing would be to see Josh Proctor play with more control. I don't necessarily think that he's going to be able to do that in one year. I think it's more so up to the coaches to figure out how to harness Marcus Hook or how to harness Josh Proctor and unleash him the best they can. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the missed tackles, I think you can chalk some of that up to it being week one because we have seen around the country in college football, a lot of these teams in early games, there's been a lot of tackling issues. So I don't think that should be seen as a huge alarm bell sign for that to happen in the first game of the year. But I do agree with you on Proctor. I mean, I noticed that as well. There were a couple of times where you know he just took bad angles, the same kind of bad angles we saw him take against Clemson. It really cost him in that game. So I agree with you. I think I think the right role for him is as this second safety, you know, bullet, whatever the hell you want to call it, where he's, you know, he he, he has he needs to be in a role where he has freedom to be a playmaker. He he's not he's a completely different player than Jordan Fuller. I mean, Jordan Fuller was a player that, you know, he he was a guy you just relied on him to do his job. You didn't count on Jordan Fuller to make big plays. You counted on him to stop big plays from happening. Josh Proctor has a completely different mindset as a player. So you, so you have to adjust your defense accordingly to allow him to play to his strengths, which frankly are just very different than Jordan Fuller. Yeah, I think, I think those strengths with Josh Proctor are a little like what they're figuring out linebacker with Baron Browning, which is like, how do we really harness this guy? He's maybe not the most disciplined, but you know, when we, when he makes plays in space, he can really make some plays. And I think that, I think they've struggled a little bit to find that with Baron Browning over the years. And and honestly, you know, it's felt like they've struggled a little bit to find that with Josh Proctor over the years, too. So, you know, there's a lot of time to figure this thing out. And like you said, they were they were largely in vanilla, pretty base defense uh, throughout throughout the throughout the afternoon on Saturday. So going forward, like this is just one game. If we based everything on one game last year, Ohio State would have spent half the season under center. So it's worth it's worth noting that, you know, things can and will change. All in all. Ryan Day said 52-17 is a, a pretty good day, boys. That was his quote. Uh, and I agree. I agree. I think it was a pretty good first game. But I think, I think things are going to get tougher this week. So I want to move on to that now. Because we did see Penn State have a really surprising week one loss. But I think Colin's probably less surprised than me because he's been hyping up the Hoosiers as a team to watch in the Big Ten. So uh, shout out to Colin on that. I think he was right about the Hoosiers being a team to watch. but. Even with that loss, I still think Ohio State is in for a much tougher test this week than against Nebraska. Yeah, I mean, I think that's undeniable. Um, I, and, you know, I think that even when saying that, I think both of us are probably going to pick Ohio State to, to win that one. But, you know, there are there are enough things that, that we mentioned that why they're I – don't, I don't really think that we're, quote, unquote, concerned about much. But I think that we're on watch for. And I think there are enough of, enough of those things about Ohio State. Like Penn State's a talented enough team that they can take advantage of some of that. So you're going to see, I think, a lot of guys in their toughest test yet as is, is Buckeyes. A lot of those younger guys who maybe got their first action last week. Like this is this is a whole other level. And and I know Ryan Day is going to preach that the whole week. They don't need me saying that, but but it is true. Yeah, I think Ohio State should win, but I also think Ohio State legitimately needs to play really well. I think. I think the Buckeyes need to play a clean game, like Ryan Day always says. And I think 
you know, they need to tighten up on some of these things on, on both sides of the ball, because I mean, we've seen it with Penn state. This is a team that consistently plays Ohio state tough year in and year out. And I agree with Ryan day, but I don't think the scoreboard was indicative of a kind of team that Penn state is. When you look at that game, Penn state had more than twice as many yards as Indiana. It should, the game should have even gone to overtime. If Devin Ford doesn't score a touchdown, they run out the clock. They win by one point, which isn't the most impressive win, but you still win the game. Penn State made a ton of mistakes in that game, and that's the reason why I lost. And, you know, that, that's bad. You, 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 that's a bad way to lose a football game. But at the same time, I think it's a team that's capable of being better than what it showed in week one. And I, I think, you know, I think, I think they're dangerous on, on both sides of the ball. And, you know, if you start with the offense, I mean, we were just talking about some of the issues the defense had. And, and, and that's one of the big things I look at because I, I, I look at the two things that struck me watching Ohio State's defense on Saturday was they struggled with a quarterback run, and I, I thought they struggled with covering the tight ends. And if you look at Penn State, Sean Clifford had, I believe, 119 yards running the ball this past week. And Pat Fryermuth is arguably the best tight end in the country. So those are two things I look at right there and say, okay, the defense has got to tighten up in these areas against a good Penn State team. Yeah, the, the quarterback run thing is is definitely true. And, I mean, if I, if I remember correctly, I believe Nebraska averaged somewhere around six yards per play. And, you know, against Indiana, I mean, Penn State was – I think a little bit less. And I, I don't know what that tells you. I mean, on one hand, maybe it says that, that, that Nebraska, that Indiana's off or defense is, is good. Uh, on the other hand, it might tell you that Ohio state's defense leaves a little bit to be desired. Um, and, you know, they took advantage of some turnovers and some miscues at, at, at key times. So I think that there's a lot to learn. And I, and I think that when you look at, you know, what Sean Clifford has done over the years, I'm not sure that Sean Clifford is a guy that Ohio State's walking into the season being like, oh, this guy, this guy's going to be a tough, real tough test. Sean Clifford's been around. He and 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 like you said, he's a he's a solid enough runner. He's a dangerous enough runner that you can't just overlook the guy. Um, I think one thing that's going to be interesting is like, I don't know if you mentioned yet, but you know, Penn State doesn't have the running backs that it normally would. Now that would make the game a whole lot more interesting if, especially if Journey Brown were to be playing, but, but with him not, I think Ohio state, Ohio state knows what it needs to do and, and it can't let Sean Clifford get loose. And like you said, it can't, can't allow Pat Fryer to get loose. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, last year, <clears throat> obviously we saw a lot of Pete Warner on the tight end <clears throat> with him. at will, you're just not going to see that. I'm not exactly sure what Ohio state's going to do to counter him, but, but that is going to, that is going to, that is going to be very important for them. Yeah, this is the kind of game where it's like I, I, I say, okay, on Saturday we're going to learn whether moving Pete Warner to Will was actually the right move because <laughs> yeah. I thought he played fantastic last year against Pat Fryermuth, and I don't know who I don't know who guards him. No. I, I, I don't think I, you know, Greg Madison said last week, but he thinks you know the Sam guys can cover. I don't think Baron Browning can cover Pat Fryermuth. I just don't. So is it Marcus Same Hooker? Is it Josh Proctor? I, I don't know. Is it Marcus Williamson? I don't know. But they've got to have a good plan in place for that because he, I mean, he is probably their bet. You know, Jahan Dotson's a good receiver, but, you know, Sean Wade's matched up against him. You know, I, I, I'm still going to give Sean Wade the edge in that matchup. So I think, you know, those are the two things I look at, that quarterback run and that, 
Pat Fryer me is for two things, but I think Ohio State's defense could struggle with. Like you mentioned, in running back has very quickly gone from a strength to a weakness for Penn State because you had Journey Brown and Noah Kane. Neither of them are going to be out there on Saturday. They might both be done for the season. So now you've got, you've got Devin Ford, who's been okay at Penn State, but he's just been okay. Uh, they do have an experienced offensive line. I, th- I think all five of those guys have been starters. So uh, they do have an experienced offensive line. So I think it'll be a good test uh, for the defensive line, which you know, I think, as we said, left something to be desired in week one. I think it is going to be a good test for those guys. But yeah, I think, you know, I think stopping those two Clifford and Fryer move have to be a one. And we did get a couple questions about, you know, how Ohio state would defend Clifford and, and whether they'd be spying him. I, I actually passed that question along to Kyle Jones, who we mentioned earlier, because I knew he'd be able to answer it better. And, and what he said is, is he thinks that Ohio state will, will play a lot of zone. So there are many eyes in the backfield if, and when Clifford runs, he also noted that a lot of Clifford's runs against Indiana came on scrambles, not options or called runs like Nebraska. And then he said for, he also believes that instead of having one guy be a spy, he, he thinks that inside linebackers, it's green dog is what, what the term is for it, but he used that he thinks, uh, you know, they'll wait and see which way the back releases in coverage. One in, the inside linebacker to that side would pick him up. That leaves the other guy to go on a delayed blitz. And, and he thinks, he thinks they'll use a lot of nickel packages with Pete Warner and Baron Browning in there. So I just read you his answer because he's smarter at this kind of stuff than I am. And he, 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 he's got better insight on that kind of stuff than I can give you. That is extremely fair. And honestly, I'm glad that you did that because I would have made a complete guess and not been a football expert who writes great Monday articles like Kyle Jones. So shout to him. And then, like I said, who's, who's also asked who's going to cover for Iremuth. I, I think that's a, I think that's a big question. I really do. I think, Werner was the obvious guy for that role last year, but I just I think with him playing Will, that, that's not going to be his role. So I don't think there's an obvious candidate for that spot this year. Nor do I. And again, Pat Fryermuth, 6'5", 258. If the answer is Josh Proctor, I would feel a little bit uh, uncertain about that one, just given size-wise. If the answer is Marcus Williamson, I definitely feel uncomfortable given the size. If the answer is Baron Browning or, or Justin Hilliard, I feel uncomfortable because I've never seen them cover a guy like Pat. So I think this is a complete unknown. And I think that this is the number one question that, you know, I think we're going to be interested to see. So that's an answer that they're going to have to have if they want to slow down Penn State and, 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 and stop them. The other side of a ball, like I said, you know, Penn State's defense was better on the scoreboard indicated in week one. They allowed just 211 yards and just 41 rushing yards to Indiana. But the question is, is that going to be any match for Justin Fields? Yeah, I mean, that is that is the number one question. I mean, I think I think beyond Justin Fields, and I and I mentioned this earlier, like all this this game is a huge game for the offensive line. And and we saw some things last week uh, on Saturday that I think a lot of it was positive, but I think that you saw enough things that you know either made your eyes, you know, made made your eyebrows go up a little bit or you know, some stuff that we just don't know yet that I think is worth just sort of waiting on. Like, I don't feel 100% confident that this offensive line is just going to go out and dominate. Like, you know, I think at the end of the year, like, I think we'll look back on this line and be like, this, this is a really good line. But again, like, this is a line that I think struggled last week and last season with picking up some stunts. 
I feel like Nick Petit Frere and Thayer Munford had awesome week ones, but that was against Nebraska and Nebraska's defensive ends. And I think that this is a, I don't think, I know that this is a completely different animal when you're, when you're going up against what Penn state has. So I, I really do think like, it's such a cliche. I think this game starts up front on, on the, on the offensive line when you're looking at what Ohio state's offense can do. And it, you know, if if the offensive line is as solid as you think it is, like, yeah, I feel confident that Justin Fields is going to get the job done. And hey, like, even if even if the offensive line has some holes, like, again, you're playing with Justin Fields, and and like, we can't even talk that much about the offense without just going back to him every single time. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a Justin Fields-driven offense, period. Yeah, and the whole year. to to win games like this. It's going to come down to whether Justin Fields makes the kind of plays that we know he's capable of making. It is. I mean, it just and who's going to bet against him? Like, if that's the bet, right. it's like who's who's not going to bet? His Ohio bet. State career, we 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 we've seen him do it week in and week out every single time. So there, there's no reason to think that he won't. There's no reason to think that he won't have a great game. But but you're right. I I do think you know the offensive line needs to take a step forward. I think the running backs need to take a step forward. I think you know in, in a game like this where I think you know. I, I do think it's probably going to be a, a closer game. I, I, I do think that, you know, both of those areas, you need to see them step up. And, and you know, I think they're both capable of doing it. But, but they need to do it. And, and that's the thing about, you know, a season like this is, you know, you talk about, like, what we're going to be saying at the end of a year. But it's a shortened season, and you're playing one of your most important games in week two. So if the Ohio State offensive line is going to be a Joe Moore award winner, they've got to step up right now. That's yeah. just a reality. They, you don't have time to waste. You've got to step up right now. Yeah, and I think that the point you made about the running backs is good. Like, I think you need to see more about, more out of them, but I think it, it really is one thing. That's like, you just got to make more guys miss. Like, like I understand that, you know, they're, if there's a guy in the backfield who's tackling you, like, that's just hard to get out of sometimes. But, you know, if there's one guy to beat, there's two guys to beat, make one of them, beat one of them, and push the pile forward five yards. Like, I don't think that you saw enough of them just – plowing ahead like I think Trey Sermon went down a little too easy um and I think you saw that on a couple especially I remember specifically a third and one and you know I just think that they have to generally just run harder um and I think that that's easy to say for us um but uh you know that matters we were asked by STL Buckeye 15 ever any individual matchups you should pay attention to or that you think the staff will take advantage of or any we haven't talked about yet that come to mind for you there's nothing necessarily that, that, you know, that I think about that. I think that the one interesting thing will be just how much they open the defensive playbook. Like, was it vanilla on purpose or are they going to do stuff vanilla even in week two? Like, I think I lean towards them opening up a little bit, but I also like, I don't get the, I don't know. I can't really decide if I get the feeling or not that, <laughs> that they're going to rotate and, um, play personnel matchups as much as they sort of talked about before the season. I think like we're going to find out on Saturday one way or another, yeah. like that will be answered. But I think that that is the one area where it's just hard to predict right now because I'm a like, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't super impressed by what the defense had, but like the defense was fine because it was Nebraska. And like the one thing they can do is like their quarterbacks can run. And other than that, like that wasn't exactly an imposing offense. Like I think the offensive line was pretty good. Um, but like that wasn't that wasn't an offense that I really would lose sleep over. I think Penn State, you know, because they don't have their running backs, it's certainly an easier game for Ohio State, but it but it's not easy. Yeah, I think you're right that we're gonna learn about that this weekend because if you look at the next five games on the schedule, 
you're not saving tricks up your sleeve for the next five games on the schedule. So I think if you've got uh, wrinkles, this is the week you're going to start to throw them out there because I think this is a week that, you know, you might need them. I don't, I don't, not saying you will, but you might, you know, and if if we move on to just kind of looking at the spread and kind of what we're predicting for this game, uh, Ohio state's currently a a 13 point favorite for this game Uh, over under is, is 63. I'm at the point right now where like if I if I have to pick I'm going to save a Buckeyes cover but they haven't beaten Penn State by that many points in since 2015 I believe. So that's a you know that's that's a lot to ask and I really do go into this game feeling like how's just got to win this game. Like they just got to win it. No matter how they win it, Ohio State's just got to win it. And the expectations that were so high that even a 35-point win didn't make a lot of people happy against Nebraska, to me, this game, you've got to put those expectations aside. Ohio State's just got to win this game because there's going to be a lot of games coming up here where Ohio State should dominate, and if they don't dominate, we can, we can nitpick everything that happens. But to me, this is one of those games. It's your first real test of a year. It's it's a team that I still think is a really good team despite its loss in week one. And I think this is a game that you've, you've just got to win it. If you do what you need to do to win, you're going to be in great shape until you get to that Michigan game at the end of a regular season. So you just got to go out and win this one, however it happens. You know, to me, I'm not betting on this game because I just don't know how it's going to play out. What did the line open at? It opened at eight and it went up to 13. I- I like that line a heck of a lot better than this one. <laughs> when I saw eight, I was like, hmm, that is I, – I felt – I don't know. You feel as confident as you can when you're – when you know that Las Vegas knows something and you don't, um, which is what I felt then. Uh, 13, I don't know. It's just hard. I think that there's a lot of this team that, like, we guess with. Um, I think that we're guessing about what this defense is going to look like. I think we're guessing – you know, about what the running game will look like. I think I'm guessing, you know, like what Nick Petit Frere is going to do when he faces the best defensive end he's ever faced. Like, I think that there's a lot of this, which is guesswork. The thing that makes it minus 13 is because Justin Fields is on the field. And like, if you're going to bet, you might as well just go bet with Justin Fields. Right. And I mean, it's one of those games, which like, to me, there's a, like last week, I felt pretty confident what the game was going to be like. And it ended up being pretty much what I expected. This week, if Ohio State blew out Penn State, I wouldn't be shocked. If Penn State wins, I wouldn't be shocked. I think there's a wide – I don't think Penn State will blow out Ohio State, but I think yeah. the range from Penn State winning this game to Ohio State blowing out Penn State, I think anything in that spectrum could happen, and it really wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I think – I mean, Ohio State won, if I remember correctly, last year by 11 points. And I think this Ohio State team – generally outside of Justin Fields is worse. I think that, you know, the Penn State team is worse. So I think that it's hard to really compare it to, to recent history. But there's just a lot of this team that I'm I, – I felt like I was going to learn more in week one than I did. I think I'll say that. Well, I do think we'll learn a lot in week two. Colin, do you want, do you want to lead I, off our free things we think? I can. And honestly, I was just going to go through, like, three guys who, like, stood out to me one way or another. Um, and I guess you always have a theme. I never have a theme. (laughs) I think it is to minimize the amount of work I did. (laughs) But 
my theme is, yeah, three guys who went on, a, on a rewatch of the game stood out. And I think, like, I've mentioned the guy multiple times. I just feel like I need to say it again because I don't think I don't think people really paid attention to him much on Saturday. Like Nicholas Petit Frere was a real deal. He was the guy that he was the guy that when Ohio State landed as the number one offensive lineman in the country at high school. Like you expect this kind of performance where it's like you don't even really notice the guy the entire game because he's just doing his job. And, you know, that that is essentially the kind of game that he had. I think that um, I think one way or another, we're gonna have a lot to say about him after this Nets game. But he, to me, couldn't have had a better season debut. I agree. And I mean, I, I did notice him because I remember I don't remember what point I was. I think it was fairly early in the game. I just remember one play just watching him just absolutely maul some dude. And like that, that's what I really wanted to see from Nicholas Petit Frere because this is a guy that's been talked about so much, his documented struggles to gain weight. And I think he's finally where he needs to be in terms of size and strength because we've known since before he even stepped on camp that this is a guy who's got that, those athletic traits to potentially be an elite offensive tackle. I think that strength, that ability to be a force in a run game has been the big question with him. And I think we saw the glimpses of that in week one. So I think it was a great start for him. What's the first thing? You I think I should about? have started because I think you know where I'm going with this. But my, my first thing is, Ryan Day, you didn't need to apologize for scoring that last touchdown in the game. Nebraska, they're, they're big boys. They can handle it. Uh, you had your freshman quarterback playing the first snaps of his career. You had a walk-on running back in the game. You had a bunch of backups in there. You know, think, I, I think of someone like Jack Miller. This is a moment that he's been dreaming of for years. He doesn't want to go out there and take a knee. He wants to go out there and run for a touchdown. So let him run for a touchdown. And if Nebraska can't stop him, too bad. And I respect, I really respect Scott Frost's answer on Monday saying, if we, wanna, if we don't want the score to be like that, we got to play better. Because that is exactly how I feel whenever these conversations come up about running up the score and taking a knee and stuff like that. It's football. It's a 60-minute game. And, you know, I, I understand why Ryan Day said that. I think, you know, he, he has a lot of respect for Scott Frost. You know, I don't think he wanted it to, to be perceived as a, a disrespect or a response to the targeting calls people were mad about or whatever. But – to me, you don't need to apologize for success on the football field. If you can go score, you go score. And if, if, if he had been, you know, chucking, if Jack Miller had been chucking balls into the end zone, clearly trying to throw for a touchdown, then maybe I'd have a different stance on it. But all they did was run the ball and Nebraska didn't stop them. So to me, no apology was needed. Let you put your young players in the game, let them go play. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and honestly, when he apologized, like, I just didn't see it coming. I mean, maybe I should have. Because well, I, I was like, like where is he about to stuff? go with this? When he's like, I want to say this publicly. I'm like, where is he about to go with this? I was like yeah. really caught off guard when like that was where it went. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see it coming. And like, I don't know. Like, I think, I think Scott Frost's answer was correct, which is basically like, who cares? Um, which I think is what the answer should be. All right, Colin, go ahead. All right, my second thing I thought about, um, or second guy I watched on Saturday play and have thoughts on who we haven't talked about, uh, Tyreek Smith. I think Tyreek Smith to me is just fascinating because I can't really figure Tyreek Smith out yet. He is someone who, like, when he has a when he has a really good rush, I think Tyler Friday said it correctly. Like, it's beautiful to watch. 
uh, when he gets off the ball because I think when he makes a move right away and, and, and it works, like he can get back, he can get into the backfield really quickly. And he did on Saturday. He almost had a sack. He also just like he just plays out of control sometimes, um, and it's pretty evident. Um, and he's also pretty athletic, and I like that. I just I can't figure him out yet. I can't I can't figure out what it is that he's missing, whether he is taking the next step or not. He's someone who I will be fascinated to see as the season goes on once they play against better actual passing offenses uh, perform because he's he's just a guy who I watched on Saturday. I'm like, I don't know. I, I just can't I can't figure out. I can't figure him out yet because he's supposed to be he's supposed to be like the speed rusher like we talked about like I don't know is there a chance that he's like a 10 sack guy this year is there like what's the breakout for him and and I don't know like I think that that is that's on the table for him um I think he has the athleticism I love watching him get off the ball but you know there's sometimes he just feels like a little bit out of control and, and I'm not sure that he's the total package yet yeah, I mean, at some point we got to see it. He's in his third year, and like I just don't feel like we've really seen anything from him. So it, at some point we got to see it. Like at some point, you know, it, there's hype, there's there's physical tools, but at some time you got to some point you got to start turning that over into production. So I think that's where we're at with Tyreek Smith. You know, and, and some guys take longer to develop than others. I mean, we saw a Devon Hamilton last year. You know, emerge as a star as a fifth year senior. So there's still time for Tyreek Smith to get there. But we've got we I think we've got to start to see it now. I think he's at a, he's at a point in his career as a third year guy, but you really want to start to see those strides. And I just I just don't think we've gotten there yet. What's the second thing you've been thinking about? Well, whatever I say here could absolutely change. So I, I won't get into too many specifics because a lot could change in sixteen hours. But just just to say that what's going on at Wisconsin right now is highlighting the reality that COVID-19 remains a major threat to this season for every Big Ten team because we do know at this point that Graham Mertz has tested positive after a spectacular debut because one of my things I think was actually going to be a positive thing about Wisconsin and Graham Mertz and then I changed it because we now know that he's going to be out for at least three games and as of Tuesday night when recording this there's definite speculation that Wisconsin and Nebraska might not be able to play on Saturday because Wisconsin might hit those thresholds that we've talked about because of COVID-19. And that, that kind of crashes us back down to reality a little bit here, because I think, you know, the first weekend of big 10 football was really smooth and it just felt like, you know, to me, it felt other than, you know, the fans not being in the stands and all that, it all felt pretty normal to me, but now you get that reminder of this COVID-19 threat is still lurking. And that 21-day policy for the Big Ten remains a significant challenge to these teams. And you see a team like Wisconsin, in the span of a few days, I go from thinking, man, if Wisconsin's got a quarterback, they're they're all of a sudden a really dangerous team in the Big Ten, to now, what the hell is going to happen to Wisconsin over the next three weeks when it might be down to its four-string quarterback? Yeah, it's it's hovering overhead, and I think that, like, no one should celebrate just one week of it because who knows exactly how this thing's going to play out. But, you know, it was good to see everybody play in week one. Um, it's unfortunate for many reasons that Graham Mertz or tested positive. Um, and yeah, it, I, I do think that there's a chance that this podcast is out of date by the time it releases because things change in this so quickly. Um, I, don't think, I think they, what they doesn't really, change though is the fact that, it, you know, whether, whether they play or not on Saturday, it doesn't change the fact that, okay, 
this is the first like marquee player that we know of that's going to miss 21 days. And this is a reminder of how quickly things could change this season because you could lose any player for 21 days at a time. And Graham Mertz, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's Wisconsin's Justin Fields right now. So that's, that's just the reality of the situation is that cloud is hanging over the heads of every team in the Big Ten. And Ohio State so far has been fortunate, but it's way, way, way too early to celebrate, as you said. So my third thing I've been thinking about, and I posted this in our Slack channel earlier on 11 Warriors, and I feel, feel like I'm taking a step onto the plank for saying this. But, like, for everybody, and, and including me, like, I've been fascinated by this too. For everybody that's wondering, like, why aren't the junior linebackers playing? Why is Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gant, Kayvon Pope not playing? How are they not playing over the, these guys who've been around seemingly forever? I don't know. Like, did you watch them play late in the game? Were there plays that you're like, ooh, this guy is clearly a star? Because I'll be honest, like, I don't know. I, I just didn't get that vibe when I was watching them. And it's so funny when you hear people be like, you know, tough Borland's so slow. Why don't they put a guy who's more athletic in there like Taraja Mitchell? Like, did, like I, I, posted a, I posted a video in Slack of this. Like, Taraja Mitchell was not exactly shot out of a cannon, you know, when he was chasing down a ball carrier or ball carriers in, in this game. I don't know. I just think that – I think that when people – I think the easy thing is to look at the juniors who have been around, look at their recruiting rankings, and assume something of them that maybe is not correct. And, and I'm not saying – that they're not really good players because I assume that they're good players. I assume that they would start at most places in the Big Ten. But I'm certainly not of the mind that these guys should clearly be playing. I think that Pete Warner is really good at football. I think Baron Browning's an athletic freak. I think Justin Hilliard is is good. There's a reason why he was a five-star recruit like six years ago. Um, I think Tuck Borland, for all his faults, which are mainly athleticism and speed, the other aspects of the game are, are strong. I don't think you – I think you rarely see him out of position. Sometimes, like once every game or two, he has a bad whiff that you're like, wow. Like, he's – I don't know. There's something missing with the athleticism, which is true. Um, but I don't know. I don't – I'm not – I'm not someone who, when I watch the end of games and I watch the backup linebackers play, I'm always really particularly wowed. Yeah, I agree with you generally in that point. I would actually say I thought when I when I rewatched the game, I liked what I saw from Dallas Gant. Um, he, oh, I, I should have mentioned I, I'm on Dallas Gant Island, so I, I I agree with you there. And and honestly, I feel like there's more a commentary on the middle linebacker spot and people talking about Tuff and Taraja, which I Dal- Dallas is a middle linebacker. About. That's his he is as as we talk about. But I think when people think about the middle linebacker, they think about a guy who has the traits of a tough or, or Taraj. And I think Dallas a little bit more athletic, a little bit more versatile. Yeah. I liked what I saw. I mean, he, he had one forced turnover and he actually almost had two. He almost had a pick. He, he dropped it, but he, he made the play on the ball there. So I actually liked, I liked what I saw from him. Now I'm not saying he should start over tough Borland. That's all I'm saying, but I did. I just want to say that I did like what I see from him. I, I do agree with your general point though, that like, I, I think, it is. I think it's easy for people to assume because those guys haven't played in bigger roles yet that people think, well, if the starter's not doing great, the backup's got to be better. And I think the reality is if, if those guys were showing something in practice that really showed that they were better, they'd be out there playing more. Like, I, 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 I think that's the truth. Like, I, I really do. I, I, I think, you know, I, I'm not saying, you know, again, 
we, we, you know, we, you know, sometimes a guy, he just needs that chance. And I think that, I think that's the hard thing is, you know, the good news is guys like tough Borland and Pete Warner and, you know, they, they, they've generally stayed healthy. So they haven't been off the field much. And so these guys really haven't gotten a chance. And I think for a lot of Ohio state fans, like they just want to see him get a chance. But I, I also think that like, if they were showing something behind the scenes, it really indicated that they needed to be out there more, they would be. And so I generally agree with your point. Um, and, and I'm going to be, you know, I don't know how much we'll see them this week. I'm going to be interested to see as we get into November and some of these games, it might be more lopsided how they play in those games. Yeah. I think Dallas Gantz, the one guy, and I think, I, I think I've been fairly consistent that I think that he could have a role on this team and as more of like a passing downs linebacker who subs in for tough. And I, like that's the area that I, I do think that he's better at than tough. I think he's more athletic than tough. Um, I, you know, I would, uh, I would caution people though, to, to go too crazy with it. I think that, I think that people do go too crazy with it when, when they look at like people who think Pete Warner is bad. I just discount offhand, but people who look at tough's athleticism and say like Taraja should definitely play or, or these other guys should definitely play. I'm not really sure that Taraja is any more athletic than tough Portland. I think that he's that kind of thumper as, as people have described him. Um, but, but I don't know. I, I think that that's something that I just see constantly. And I just, I, I've never really agreed with it, but he, but when you watch a game and, and you, and you see them play, like you can watch the starters play and then the backups play and compare them in your head. And like, when you do that, you aren't like, Oh, these guys should definitely be playing. My last point to go back to what we said at the top of a show about, you know, 35 point win being good and to not, you know, overanalyze it is, you know, I, I think naturally every game gets viewed through the prism of is Ohio state going to be good enough to beat Alabama and Clemson. And I think that's totally fair because that that's the expectation that is upon Ohio state is to be the best team in the country. And I think everybody thinks those three teams are the best. And ultimately if you're going to win a national championship, you're going to have to get through one or not both of those teams. So I think that's a, that's a valid thing, but I also think we shouldn't forget like those teams don't look great every week either. And Clemson was, I believe it was a third quarter. Clemson was only up by a touchdown against Syracuse. And I think Dabo got upset after the game because he was questioned about his team not playing that well uh, because they, they won, um, which, you know, I, I don't agree with that. I mean, you got to be able to take, take a question again you're you're Clemson you've been dominating these teams you're gonna get those kind of questions if you don't dominate uh but my point is you know Clemson they've looked great a lot of games but they don't look great every game Alabama same thing I mean we saw against Ole Miss a few weeks ago I was picking them to lose to Georgia because they their defense looked so bad against Ole Miss that I I didn't know if they were as good as I thought they were you know and they just lost Jalen Waddle, which is, is going to hurt them too. So I think, you know, it's fair to, to have that expectation and to wonder, is this team good enough to beat those teams? But I also think it's important to remember that Ohio State doesn't need to be good enough to beat Clemson and Alabama every single week. They, they definitely don't need to be that in week one of the season. So there's going to be some growing pains. You definitely want to see progress in certain areas. but at the end of the day, you're beating Nebraska by 35 points in your first game of the year. 
that's a good outcome. And, and nobody plays their best football of the season every single week. The goal is to get the goal is to do that in January, but it's not going to happen every single week. So try to enjoy the victories for what they are. I like the perspective because I am also of the mind that last year Ohio State fans just got completely spoiled. And I think that people don't remember in years prior that like there are times when a really great team struggles. And I don't think, I don't know, like do you, do you have people forgotten about 2015? Like that team was absolutely freaking loaded with talent and they struggled. And like, think about 2014 when it's fine. Yeah, yeah, 2014 yeah, I mean, loss. 2014, <laughs> they were fantastic for the final three games of a year, but they didn't look like that for most of the season. So teams get better. Ohio State definitely has areas that needs to get better, but I just don't think there's anything to panic about right now. I think if there's the areas that they weren't great in, if those areas don't get better at all, all year, then, yeah, then, then we then, can panic. <laughs> then yeah, but I, I just don't think there's – to me, there was nothing that I came out of Saturday feeling – this is going to prevent Ohio State from winning a national championship. It, there are things I say they need to get better if they're going to win a national championship, but there wasn't anything that I came out of Saturday feeling like this is this is going to keep this team from achieving its goals. I think it's time to take some questions. Yeah, it what is. Yeah, we got to run through these questions before we get out of here, and we got a lot of them, so we'll roll right into them. First question this week is, what is the health of Chris Olave and Wyatt Davis? Wyatt Davis is perfectly fine. Uh, he, he actually didn't even miss a snap. Uh, he, he briefly checked out of a game, but uh, there was a targeting review after the game. I was actually a little sad we didn't get to see one snap of Dewan Jones at right guard because that would have been fun to watch. But the good news is Wyatt Davis is okay. In regards to Chris Olave, we don't really know. Uh, Ryan Day didn't really divulge anything when he was asked about it on Tuesday. Garrett Wilson did say, he was super confident Chris Olave would play, and I, I would think Garrett Wilson's probably a little bit more forthcoming than Ryan Day would be. So I'm fairly confident we'll see him play on Saturday, but we're also talking about a head injury here. I don't want to make any assumptions. Yep. That was Daniel with the question. I appreciate that. Uh, and Juice is <laughs> just ready to just fire people. <laughs> After last week's loss to Indiana, could a blowout loss to Ohio State cost James Franklin his job? To which I say, has a loss to Ohio State cost James Franklin his job yet? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think so. I mean, he said, a, he said a blowout loss, so I understand where he's going with it, but no, nah, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know. I mean, literally – they would have to win like 250 to nothing. Like they would have to prove I mean, that Penn State's yeah, no longer even yeah. remotely in the conversation. Think, I mean, is... I don't think James Franklin's remotely on the hot seat. I mean, I don't, I don't think he had a good game last week. But, yeah, I, I, I mean, even if an 0-2 start, you know, there's still time for him to turn things around. I, I don't think there's much likelihood of that at all. No, I would say there's zero. And, like, yeah, it would be – I mean, it would suck to be a Penn State fan, be 0-2 and, and have a – recruiting class in the bottom half of the big 10 but that is the reality they might be facing um come this weekend silver sniper asked why have the run option be such a prominent part of the game plan when osu's number one goal has to be keeping justin fields healthy and you get a lot of this um you know i i think it's hard i think it's a such a fine line to walk because yes ohio state needs to keep justin fields healthy but Ohio State also needs to allow Justin Fields to be the player that he is. 
And I think that's how Ryan Day feels about it too, is that it, it, making Justin Fields a pocket passer who never runs the ball, that's limiting the talent of your superstar quarterback. So I I, I think, you know, you, you, you know, I, I get it when people are talking about, okay, it's the fourth quarter and he's running the ball. Why is he doing that? I get that. But I think when the game's on the line, you can't, you can't handcuff Justin Fields to be overprotective. When the game's on the line, you've got to let him make plays however he makes plays best. And then if we go back to you know, what we talked about earlier, you don't have J.K. Dobbins anymore. So you might need Justin Fields to be a threat with his legs in, in these bigger games. I mean, I think they needed him to be a bigger threat with his legs last year against Clemson, and he wasn't because he was hurt. But you can't play the whole season in fear of if he's going to get hurt. You've got to let him be the player that he's going to be because if you just try to unleash it in the biggest game of the year after, you know, protecting him all year long, you're, you're probably not going to have the kind of success with that than you are if you could actually get into a rhythm with it over the course of a season. Yeah, I also think it's a little bit of a misguided question because I think if you look at the bot score and you see the 16 rushes and you look at what he did last year, you're like, oh, that seems seems like he's running more. If, if you're talking about why have the run option be a prominent part of the game plan, like he wasn't, it wasn't really a prominent part of the game plan on Saturday. If you look at the 16, if you break it down, three of those were sacks, uh, 10 of those were scrambles, and three of those were, yeah, designed runs. So, like, three designed runs per game being too yeah. much, like, I don't, I, yeah. I think even you would agree with, like, that's not too much silver sniper. So, <laughs> I think, like, I, I don't think that that's such a prominent part of the game plan. I think part of what Justin Fields does is he keeps plays alive and he scrambles. And, like, some of that you're like, all right, maybe it would be nice to him to, go down a little easy once but that's just who he is like you 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 can't change that about Justin Fields at this point and and nobody's gonna try I mean Justin Fields is awesome for many reasons and one of them is because the dude just keeps plays alive 47 Hawk asked with it being a shortened season let's hope we play 11 games and with a slow start for the running backs do you see a 1,000 yard rusher this year do you think it is more likely we see a thousand yard receiver and is that receiver Olave or Wilson? That's a it good question. A question. No, 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 no. It's not a question. It's not a question. At least, at least, um, it's definitely more likely that it's a receiver than a running back, in my yeah, opinion. I, agree. Um, I, I, I think that the Olave Wilson question is fascinating. I think, I mean, you can tell me if you think I'm wrong. I don't. I really don't see them giving a thousand yard running back. I mean, that would that would be a total shock to me. I mean, that would essentially be either Trey Sermon or Master Teague shows like by this weekend that they're the guy and they're going to be relied upon mainly. And I just, I don't really see that happening. Yeah. I don't, I don't see it either. Cause I think, you know, between those two and between fields, you know, I, I think they're all going to have their share of yards, but I don't think, I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to be anything close to last year where you had, you know, JK Dobbins, you know, racking up yards. I, I just don't think any of these guys are going to do that. So I think with a shortened season, most likely Ohio State is not going to have a 1,000 yard rusher. You know, 1,000 yard receiver, that's, it's certainly possible. But I do, I do look at the fact that Ohio State, I mean, Ohio State's very rarely had 1,000 yard receivers in recent years. Um, I think it's more possible this year because I do think that those two are going to get a heavier share of the targets and production than maybe we've seen from receivers in recent years. 
But I also think over the course of a year, I, I do think that guys like Jackson Smith and Jigba, Julian Fleming, guys like that could be worked in more and more as they gain experience. So I lean toward no on that, but I don't rule it out. Yeah, I'm I'm ruling out the thousand yard rusher. I'm not ruling out the thousand yard receiver. I'm not gonna predict it because like you said, like who knows what they're gonna do against Rutgers. Like I don't think they're gonna target Garrett Wilson to have two hundred yards against Rutgers. I don't think I don't know that he's gonna cross hundred against Rutgers. So I think that, that I think that that's just a tough thing to bet on. But you know, you made the point earlier if they if they rotate less and like these two guys stay as much of a featured part of their offense. I don't know. I think it's I think it's conceivable, um, but yes, I, I wouldn't predict it. We were asked by multiple people, Keister and El Guapo, about who will emerge as Justin Fields' number three option at wide receiver. And I mean, I think the answer is pretty clear. I think it's Jamison Williams. I mean, just looking at the snaps that the receivers played, I mean, Jamison Williams didn't technically start, but he played Snarter's snaps, and I, I think you know, just looking at the snap counts from that game, there was a pretty clear gap between him and everyone else. So I think he's the guy. I mean, we didn't see a ton from him in week one, but I I still think that's going to change. I still believe that he's a guy who's going to have a big role in the offense. So I'm pretty confident he's going to be the number three receiver for Ohio State this year. Yeah, I would have said that before the first game, and now I'm not so sure anymore. I think it will be Jamison Williams if you made me bet. I would I would say Jameson Williams probably deserves the best odds. I'm not ruling ruling out Jackson Smith and Jake. I'm not either because I, I I do believe in him, so I'm I'm not ruling that out either. But I also think right now Jackson Smith and Jigba is playing the same position as Garrett Wilson, and I don't know how much Garrett Wilson's going to come off the field. So unless they move things around, I think that limits Smith and Jigba's production a little bit. Yeah, I think that that's true. But I also say, you know, I think the slot gets a lot more tar- – not a lot, but it gets more targets than the other positions. And I also think, like, Jess Smith and Jigba is the kind of guy who's going to get thrown the ball a lot. I think Jameson Williams, while he'll get a decent amount of touches, like, I think I think he makes his touches count. Like, when Jameson Williams gets the ball, he is more likely to reach the end zone on that given play than probably anybody else on the team because speed alone, he's just different in that way. So I think that I'm not sure – you know, how you exactly define number three option. Maybe Jameson Williams plays the third most snaps among wide receivers, but Jetson Smith and Jigba is third on the team in catches. I think that that's something that – I don't know if that would be my prediction, but shoot, I'll say it. Uh, who's going to hold me to this? I guess that'll be my prediction. <laughs> Keister and El Guapo are going to hold you to it. I, I guess so, and I, I appreciate the parentheses of or dare I say, dare I say a tight end, to which I will say – I hope you don't dare to say that because yeah. the answer is no. <laughs> yeah, that would that would surprise me. Weave seventy seven asked, "Do you anticipate Big Thanos, aka Dewan Jones, being the first man off the bench if any of the starting offensive linemen have to come out of a game?" His assumption was if Josh Myers comes out, Harry Miller would slide over to center, and Dewan Jones comes in at left guard. I'm gonna say no. I think it's Matthew Jones. I think Matthew Jones might be the next guy. I mean, just look at it them putting him in, you know, at left guard before anyone else. I I actually – I come out of that first game thinking that left guard job is not as solid as I thought it was going to be. I come out of that first game thinking Harry Miller's got to play better or Matthew Jones might be able to make a push at getting in that starting lineup. Okay. I, I have thoughts on that because I – 
I, I, I rode a roller coaster with that exact take because he, you know, like you said, it was interesting that they pulled Harry Miller before the rest of the starters and gave Matthew Jones one series with the starting offensive line, which is interesting in and of itself. Um, I think on his first few plays, I think his first two or three, Matthew Jones was blocking uh, blocking runs better than I think Harry Miller did the entire game. And I was really impressed by him. And then I think he was the one that led to the sack. <laughs> and and then I was like, okay, now I'm not 100% sure anymore. So I was very intrigued by him. And then he had a sack. But this is the thing. It's such a small sample size that it's hard to really know what to do with. So, yeah, I, I, do, I agree with you. I think Matthew Jones for interior lineman is probably the first guy off the bench. Um, and I am – I am intrigued by him, especially after seeing him. And I and I, I do I'm I do think just based on what we saw from a very small sample size, but I think it might depend on side of a line. I think Dewan might be the next guy in at right guard, and I think Matthew Jones might be the right guy next guy in at left guard. I'm not sure about that, but based on a very small sample size, it looked like that might be the case. Menbuck just has us pegged. As Pete Warner fans, <laughs> would you like to see him back at Sam? Sure, it was only week one, but it's a short season, and and it's still a huge game against Penn State. Yeah, I mean, I Dan, think Vin- you are you are now Dan Schiano, or oh my gosh, sorry, Dan Madison. <laughs> yeah. Unless you want to start chopping. All right, uh, Dan Madison. I wouldn't have said that one, but uh, yeah, I, I I mean, this week I would like to see him back at Sam. I really would because I'd like to see him covering Pat Fryermuth because I think he's the best option. Uh, for that matchup this week for the season as a whole. I, I really don't know. It, it, it It's very early. You know, they, they, the coaches seem confident that Pete Warner can make a big impact at that will spot. And I, I thought there were glimpses of that. You know, I don't think we saw a ton of it, but I did think there were some plays on Saturday that showed the kind of impact he can make at that spot. So, you know, I, I tend to think here, the coaches probably know what they're doing. And are, and are putting him in the right spot. But I, you know, I do, I look at a game like this week and I go, this is the kind of week where I think Pete Warner could really make a big impact in the Sam. And I'm just not as confident in anybody else being able to play that same role. Can I be Colin Combs? Okay. You gotta like, <laughs> you gotta get some energy now though. Yeah. Gonna... I gotta get some energy. Um, <laughs> oh. no, I think, uh, I think, I think if I were a coach, which thankfully for Ohio State fans, I'm not. Yeah, I, I do think Pete Warner and Sam makes a lot of sense this week. And I, and I don't know if they're going to be willing to move them back and forth during the season. I don't know if they view that as too difficult to do at linebacker compared to other positions. Um, I tend to think that they won't have him at Sam, in which case I do wonder, like, what are they going to do at that priority? I just don't know. Um I thought Pete Warner was solid at times. I thought he made some mistakes at other times in, in week one. I mean, he had, a, he had a really nice play. I remember, you know, shooting the gap and, and getting under an offensive lineman's block for a tackle for loss. Like, I thought he was fine. I thought he was solid. I think he could have played better. So, do I want him back permanently at Sam? It's hard to say just because, like, we have one game of sample size, and I don't think Nebraska's offense is what we're going to see the rest of the season. So, I think it's hard to say. But for this game, yeah, it's hard for me not to say that I think Ohio State would be better off with him at, at strong side linebacker. If we get to just pick, I would have gone with Dan Halfley. No, oh, I know you would have. <laughs> I would I would definitely be Colin Schiano. Colin, Sh- Colin Schiano. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd probably be, like, 
Dan Tabor Johnson or something. But. <laughs> yeah, I will be calling Colin Billy Davis. <laughs> Heck of a coaching staff we've got here. All right, before we go completely off the rails here, our Kyle T83, he, he, he was talking about the Fox commentators and, and talking about how you know, they were they were harping on the targeting role being bad. And he said, I thought they didn't emphasize enough that the Nebraska defenders were getting in a situation due to their tackling style. It seemed to me that many of the hits were launches by the player to make a big hit rather than make a tackle, which is one of the things that the targeting rule was trying to take out of a game. What are your thoughts? This is one where I think to me, like this is a the, the thing that's always interesting to me with like targeting when it happens in the Ohio State game is like when I'm watching a game from the press box and I'm covering it live, I never really like really see those hits as they happen. So it's always just like 50 Ohio state fans in my mentions targeting their head hunting, you know, and it, it even have, you know, certain members of the media who tend to wear scarlet and gray glasses, they jump on it and they're, they're head hunting. So I actually asked the reason I asked for, for anyone who watched the press conference inside baseball, the reason I asked Ryan day about it after the game is because so many fans were asking me about it in my mentions, but I thought, you know, when, when when all the fans are asking me something, a lot of times I will ask that question because I go, that's what they want to know about. So that's why I asked him about it. When I watched, rewatched the game, I didn't really think any of those were blatant targeting. Like, I, I didn't know that I necessarily disagreed with the ones that were called targeting or vice versa. But ultimately, after I rewatched the game, I, I agreed with what Ryan Day said. But I didn't see anything on those hits that Nebraska was clearly trying to take a guy out or, or you know, these were egregious hits. I, I just think they were kind of speed of the game things that looked a little worse than they were. And so, you know, the, the discussion on whether, on whether the targeting rule is good or bad, we've had that before. We can have it again in the offseason. It's not for right now. My opinion, though, is – Rewatching them, I, I didn't really think the hits were as bad as uh, they were being relayed to me that they were. This is probably, you know, it's. I don't know that anyone cares about this, but I made I had a realization this weekend. It's like when I cover games in press boxes, you don't have the audio of the game on, so you don't, re- and you're not really watching. You can't really get a good view at the TVs in the press box a lot of the times of like the angles and stuff. You have to tilt your head, like you're probably dealing with some sun glare. <laughs> I don't know, things are weird. But by by actually watching the game at home for the first time, I really got the full Joel Clad experience where you're just you're just dissecting every little bit of it. And, and, you know, you got two announcers, you're giving their opinions on it. It's like, it is a gigantic deal in that broadcast. Whereas when you're in the press box, it's just hard to get a grasp on sometimes. And I, and I do realize now, like I should have, I don't know. I, I now understand why everybody has so many takes on this is because I don't know. It's so different when you're actually covering a game that you're watching the TV broadcast when they're, when you're watching 27 different angles of one hit versus in the press spots when you can only see like one or two probably. Yeah. And you realize like a lot of times when I rewatch the game and I hear what they said, I realize why people were saying certain things to me during the (laughs) game because the commentators were saying it and they were, they were repeating, you know, or or like it happens. It always happens to me once or twice a game where, you know, again, I see a play. I don't necessarily see the replay and maybe there's something that's like, you know, like there was one on, like where 
Adrian Martinez from a past Cade Warner on the end zone. It should have been a touchdown. It wasn't. And like my vantage point from a press box, and I noticed it because this, this is what all the other people in the press box were saying too, is they were all saying Martinez threw a bad pass. And then you see the replay on TV and like it went through his hands. And I think Joel Klatt said something along the lines of he has to catch that. And so all like my mentions were, oh, it wasn't a bad throw. He's just got to catch it. And I think reality, it was like kind of both. It was a bad throw, but he also could have caught it. But like you, you realize that, that like the vantage point from a press box is different from TV. And, and, and that's why sometimes there's like a difference in, in communication there of like what, what we see from the press box is just different from what you're seeing at home. Yeah. It's probably really stupid that it took me this long to realize that, but I, but I had that realization. Also, I'll say this, like Joel Klatt, I think he's a great color commentator generally. His like suggestion that Justin Fields was leading receivers in order to get targeting penalties was one of the most absurd jobs of uh, things I've ever heard an analyst say during a college football game. I couldn't believe he said it, but he yeah. did. So I don't know. That yeah, was that was crazy. Promise you, Justin Fields is not doing that. I promise you that if yeah. if Ryan Day thought he was doing that, he'd probably pull him out of a game. Yeah, he definitely would. All right, we got we got two more questions from Allen Brutus. Did, yep. did I say that correctly? Yep. Uh, Will we see more blitzing on passing downs? And is it a good idea to blitz one of your best defenders for fear of a targeting call, considering how trigger-happy Big Ten refs were last week versus Nebraska? Or were the Nebraska players simply headhunting? Yeah, I put these together because they kind of connected. We already addressed the last part of it. And more blitzing on passing downs? I mean, this is probably another one that like, I could ask Kyle Jones. He'd probably have a better answer than we will. But, I mean – I do think they I we, we talked about a lot in the, the preseason and I still think it I, I I do think they need to find more ways to manufacture pass rush because I think first impression would be yeah they're, they're just not going to get as much from their defensive line as they did last year so I do think they need to find ways to manufacture pass rush I'm not exactly sure if that means they're going to blitz more this week but I do think it's something that they should consider because I, I do think that you know, what the defensive ends are doing is probably not enough at this point. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I think that if you see them blitz more, that'll tell you what they think about their defensive line. Um, I think that there's some intriguing pass rushers. I was, you know, I don't think we still have an answer on why Zach Harrison only played so few snaps. Like I thought that that was a little interesting. I thought he was going to, I don't, I don't know that I, it's not like I was expecting it to be Chase Young out there, but I thought he was going to be, you know, either number one or two on, on play count. Um, and, and maybe that had something to do with Nebraska's offense. I'm not really sure. Um, but, yeah, I'm not expecting a lot more blitzing. I think maybe we could see some, but I do think that generally this, you know, this defense is built to rely on its front four to, to, to pass rush. And I think that, you know, regardless of, of what we thought about the pass rush last week, I think that we're going to still see them primarily do that. Finally, G Walkoff Five asked us about the Buckeye Bash. How did it go for recruits? Uh, asked about also why the Lee brothers didn't show and what's going on with Derek Davis. Uh, I passed this along question along to Arzat Carpenter because he's been following this much closer than we have, and he said that it was successful for what it was. Uh, he thought he thought getting Travion Henderson was most important so that he would lock hundred percent lockdown as a commitment. And that is what happened as I know Zach wrote about that as well. Uh, Travion really enjoyed his visit uh, in terms of the Lee brothers. Uh, there was a, a health concern with, with their mother. Uh, so 
their trip was canceled. Uh, it was, it was a last minute thing, uh, you know, personal situation. Uh, so it wasn't, you know, necessarily a knock on Ohio state, but he didn't come. That said, this might have been the last opportunity for him to get to campus. Uh, there also apparently wasn't much communication with the commits. So not things aren't looking great there. If you, if you, if for Tristan Lee coming to Ohio state, that's still looking like a long shot, but Derek Davis uh, sounds like returns there were promising that Ohio state's right in the thick of a race. Uh, he's planning to visit LSU this upcoming weekend and, and make his decision after that. So, uh, that one's been a little bit hard to get a read on, but it sounds like Ohio State's got some real momentum there after this weekend. I know he's supposed to announce his commitment on November 7th, so we're going to find out pretty soon on that one. It's funny because it felt like, you know, a week or two ago, it felt like Ohio State was thrown in the towel. It just, or not necessarily throwing in the towel, but it just felt like they didn't have a shot to get him. Um, and now all of a sudden it feels like if they're not the, the front runner for him, then they're right there at the front with, with some others. And that's one of those that like, I mean, I'm an outsider when it comes to recruiting, like I'm not an insider when it comes to recruiting, but that's one of those that like, I just cannot get a read on where he's going. Like, usually you can tell like what the clear favorite is, but with him, I, I really can't tell. Like most of the crystal balls are for Penn State, but like whether he's actually going to go there, I just have no idea. Yeah, that one, that, that one is extremely tough. And I mean, if they get him like that defensive back call will be nutty well thanks again for listening into this week's real pod wednesdays lots to talk about this week i think we'll have plenty to talk about again next week as well coming off of this big game against penn state so thanks again for listening in and we look forward to talking to you again next week